Well, if you would, turn to Numbers chapter 12. It's not every day you have devotions from the book of Numbers, so here we are, right? My colleague Rich, uh, colleague in that we give tours to biblical lands, uh, Rich is the sidekick. Uh, he's the one full of wisdom and age because he was there when Abraham walked the earth. That's what I tell him. Uh, he's, he's doing these seminars on how to share your faith. He taught evangelism for years at the collegiate level. He has spoken to hundreds, really probably thousands of people on how to share your faith. You will not want to miss it. He is very, very good. And what I love about it, it's not just practical. He, he's a theologian at heart. He's an Old Testament scholar, and he's going to wed that all together. And uh, he said, the first thing we got to do is discuss what is the gospel, and then we'll go from there. So um, uh, he's already working on putting materials for us, and we'll have all of that available to you. And again, those dates are listed on this card. We'll have information on the website as well and who he is, so you can see his mugshot. And then um, Second Timothy and John, is, as Tom said, were uh, fl uh, favor flavors that you all selected, and I'm excited. Second uh, Timothy is the last epistle that Paul wrote. It's his final words. And of course, as you know, uh, John is, is, is probably one of my first loves. Um, Jewish background in the Gospels was my PhD work. So here we go. Uh, it's like, yes. Um, but uh, I'm enjoying my time with Moses. I hope you have as well. So let's get in the text. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron. Who are they? Help me out. Siblings, right? Of dear Moses. Older siblings. <clears throat> They've They've been in the account of the Exodus. Where have we seen Miriam? Celebrating. Celebrating. She was a prophetess, right? She had a key role. And Aaron, what do we know about Aaron? He's the spokesman. He is also high priest. They're all from the tribe of Levi, even Moses. Don't, don't miss that. And it says they spoke against Moses. It's like fingernails across the blackboard. You're going, What? What? <laughs> if it's not bad enough that the crowd has grumbled nonstop, we now have the siblings doing it and spoke against in the Hebrew. This term is loaded. It's full of hostility, especially when it's attached with this preposition. And so um, <clears throat> this isn't, they're doing the same thing the Israelites have been doing. They grumble. But this time it's directed directly at Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. They said, has the Lord only spoken by Moses? Literally, it's only and solely. Has he not also spoken to us? And the Lord heard it. And that phrase, the Lord heard it in the Pentateuch, is not a good thing. <laughs> it's not like, oh, thank you for your praise. When it says the Lord heard it, judgment is looming. It's imminent. All right? Don't miss that. <clears throat> the Lord spoke immediately to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The three of you come out of the tent of the meeting. Come out now. Right? So the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the entrance of the tent. Now, I want you to, this, this text is just dripping with irony. So I hope you're catching this. Who does the Lord speak to? He called Aaron and Miriam, the very two that said, no one talk, the Lord doesn't talk to them. And, he, and they both came forward. And the Lord said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. These are the vehicles of God's revelation, right? It says, I will reveal it. 
My servant Moses is not so. He is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak face to face, openly and not in riddles. It's interesting, the servant in the text verse I skipped over was verse 3. He's known as being very humble, more so than any man on the face of the earth. All right, <clears throat> so don't miss that. We'll come back to it. And then the Lord says to the two amigos, he says, Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them. It already had started when he heard him. And he departed. When the cloud departed from the tent, Miriam became leprous as snow. <clears throat> they accuse Moses of marrying a black woman, and now she's turned to white. <laughs> Aaron looked at Miriam, and, and she was leprous. The text says it twice. We didn't need to be told that, but it's accentuating the problem. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin upon us in which we have acted foolishly and have sinned. Glad you recognized it. Do not let there be like a dead person whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of its mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Heal her now, O God. The Lord said to Moses, If her father had been spit in her face, would she not have been disgraced for seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and afterwards let her be received back again. So Miriam was shut outside of the camp for seven days, and the people did not journey on until Miriam was brought back in. And then after that, the people moved. Well, this text is loaded. <laughs> uh, as I said, there's irony dripping, dripping all over the place. I want to first start there in your notes with section B, and I want you to look at Miriam and Aaron's complaint. All right. <clears throat> if you go back to verse 1, <clears throat> there's something very significant going on here. Normally, Aaron is listed, then Miriam. The word order has been changed, and the complaint that they spoke against is used with a feminine singular. Hebrew can, indicates the gender. It indicates how many people are speaking. And <clears throat> so in other words, the blame is being laid at Miriam's feet. She is the instigator of this problem. All right, that's key. Because she's going to get struck with leprosy. Aaron is not. And I'm still left with a little bit of a question as why didn't Aaron get struck as well? Because if I was the Lord, they'd both been dead, right? Gone. Just like we've just seen earlier uh, in chapter 11. I just wipe them out. <clears throat> but again, uh, the Miriam is shouldering the responsibility. She has stirred the pot. And I can say this in a group of men. I shouldn't have this recorded, but it is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> scripture never likes a strong woman. All right? They're often depicted as a problem. Jezebel, Herodias in the New Testament. When a woman oversteps her bounds and starts giving orders to men, that's not seen in a good light. Uh, in this world, and uh, in, in the world of the scriptures, and in the scriptures themselves. So, already, when Miriam's listed first, your antenna should go up. Oh, we got a problem. And the gender uh, being specified feminine also further states that. So, you didn't hear that from me. That was, I don't know who said that. <clears throat> Number two. <laughs> yes, that was a voice crying in the wilderness. <clears throat> Note that they never voiced their concern. This is so typical of troublemakers. 
you know, they, they never went to Moses with their concern. You know, we, this marriage we're not real comfortable with. You really shouldn't have done this. Uh-uh. And they didn't run to the Lord either. They just grumbled. And you kind of get the impression they're stirring the pot. They're going over here to this tent saying, you know, it's really a shame. Don't you think it's strange that Moses married, you know, and, and they're going over here. They are, they're creating great dissension in the camp. And that's not forget, you just told, I asked you earlier, who's Miriam and Aaron? They are leaders. She led the women in a song. She's a, one of the head prophetess. Aaron is the high priest. This should not be happening, right? And they have a lot of influence. Don't, don't kid yourself. And you can just see Miriam over with the chosen frozen uh, creating problems. <clears throat> now, the question is, who is this Cush woman? And in your notes, there's a couple perspectives, or two different views, I should say. Now there's more than this. Here's the two major views. One is that this is Zipporah that we're referring to. You say, remember, Zipporah is a Midianite, but the Midianite territory included Cush. And so they're saying it's really a reference to Zipporah. I have a hard time with that. And usually it's trying to salvage Moses some way. <laughs> um, the thought that he has another wife doesn't sit well with many people. But I believe this is someone from the land of Ethiopia. Uh, she's an African. <clears throat> it's not forbidden at this point in Israel's history to be marrying people outside the camp. And uh, uh, not saying there isn't some problems. What happened to Zipporah? Well, according to Exodus, she went back to the land. I don't assume she never returned, or she may have croaked. Who knows what happened? But he's remarried, uh, or, or this lady, from uh, Ethiopia. And as Milgram states in his commentary on numbers, this is in the middle of the notes there, regardless of whether Moses' wife was Ethiopian or Midianite, the objection to her, it is implied, was ethnic. <clears throat> they have a real issue. She's not Jewish. And that's why they're going after her. All right. <clears throat> Questions on that? That's, that's really intriguing. And as I said, there's some irony here because she is darker skin and yet it's going to be Miriam who's changed into lighter skin with white scales from leprosy. Just a, uh, an observation slash question. Uh, Aaron is kind of in the background here as he was with the golden calf. <laughs> I mean, does that give us some indication of what kind of a leader he was or wasn't. Yeah, Dr. Bruce is saying it's interesting. Aaron is kind of in the background with the calf ordeal. He seems to just kind of go with the flow, and it seems to be the case here. And does that indicate his leadership? I think so. He's not willing to stand up. I mean, whatever is happening with the crowd he's in, he just kind of goes with it. Yeah, Aaron's a bit of a, a milk toast. there's no doubt. Um you know, he should have been telling his sister, Miriam, we, let's don't do this if we got an issue. But it's not really that they married a Cushite, is it? Or Mo Moses married a Cushite. That has nothing really to do with it. And that's what we're going to see in a second. Yeah, Lou. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, those closest to you can deliver the, the, the most painful darts. Right? Uh, of all people, for, Aaron, for Moses... To uh, be attacked by, it would be the worst would be these two 
You know, Miriam's who saved, helped save his life when he was a baby. She helped raise him, you know. And then you, uh, you got Aaron who's stood beside him through all of this, thick and thin, and now they're the ones leveling it. But the real issue their attack is a smokescreen. And this is there in your notes as well. Uh, they're not concerned. It's far more sinister than that he married a Cushite. What's the real issue? What's the text tell, text tell us? They're jealous. And jealous of what? They want some power. <laughs> they want to be in the mix. You know, you got to remember, remember last week we looked at uh, Moses said, I'd rather die. He serves as an intercessor for the people. And uh, what happens is that uh, God says, fine. Moses says, I can't handle this. The Lord says, fine, give you 70 elders. And then two of them even prophesy. Remember those guys, Eldad and whatever, Mildad or what is it? Eldad and, and Medad. They'll speak, they'll prophesy in the camp. And I am sure Aaron and Miriam thought they should have been the ones to do it. Why weren't we gifted in doing that? You know, we're in the mix. So I think there's part of that that's created this, the green monster. But also, you know, I think they're, they're just, you know, Moses, why didn't you appoint us? And, and, and all of this is going on. And, and that's just created further attention here. And they're saying, hey, th this is the real point. I'm the prophetess. I'm the high priest. We should have been the ones tapped to do this. And you didn't tap into us. So there's a bit of resentment. There's a bit of jealousy. There's no doubt about that. And what a contrast verse 3 is to the two siblings. Moses is not self-assertive. Which is surprising. Uh, he, he's never seen as one who, who goes after the, the, the gold ring, as in, he, he just, it says he is humble. And that term is loaded. And scholars debate. Uh, one scholar, Cleon Rogers, has written an article. He says the term uh, means um, oppressed, marginalized. And I don't see that. You can disagree. But um, his humility is applauded elsewhere in Scripture and that's not how the rabbinic writings, the Jewish writings in the intertestament period and later portray, portray the humility. As you see in your notes, as Psalm 22 states, it's one that's seen as devout, one who is trusting. And I even mentioned, yes, there is an idea of weak and exploited because they're, they're not willing to um, run roughshod over people. Could Moses have taken out Miriam and Aaron? You better believe it. He could have immediately put them in their place. Not once does Moses respond to his siblings in the text. There's never a reference. Right? And in fact, the very person that Miriam and Aaron are attacking is going to be the one that saves their hide here in a minute. Which is really ironic. Okay? So this whole scene, you, you, you see here, Miriam and Aaron's complaint, they're going after... Uh, Moses, and, and really, it's an attack against the Lord, isn't it? Why aren't you using us? You use this guy, the, you know, our brother Moses. We all know about Moses. Let me tell you some stories. I grew up with Moses, right? Uh, no. And, and so now the Lord has a few things to say as well uh, here in verse 4. And, and I just love this. Uh, as the, we see here, <clears throat> I mentioned all parties are called to appear. Yes. Uh, they're called out of the, the, the tent, out of the tabernacle. Why do you think that's the case? 
Is leprosy allowed in the tabernacle? No. The Lord rose full well. I'm going to spank him. I'm going to spank him hard. And I don't want it to happen in the tabernacle. So come out here. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know about when my son will do something. Son, uh, you come down here. Come downstairs. We need to talk. You know, I'm not coming up to your room. You're coming down here. We're going to deal with this. He knows he's in trouble. Uh, they know they're in trouble. And what the, again, and I, I mentioned this, is, is how ironic that the Lord will speak directly to Miriam and Aaron. He doesn't even speak to Moses. He says, you two want me to talk to you? Fine. Let's have a little conversation. Let's sit down because I got a few things to say uh, is the idea here that's coming forth. In verses 6 through 8, as the Lord speaks, it's very clear that he takes a personal affront. Uh, personal, he takes this personally. You have attacked my servant, which he repeats twice in the text. Did you catch that? Stated in verse 7, it's stated in verse 8. This is my servant. In other words, you're attacking me and, and my sovereignty, my wisdom and how I've laid this out. So this is not a good thing. And as you see there in your notes, Moses uh, is, is declared the overseer of God's household. He's in charge. And it's interesting as you lay this out, there are several things that the Lord identifies as to the relationship. Number one, there's mouth to mouth. <laughs> uh, literally, there is a intimate, direct dialogue between Moses and God. This isn't CPR, right? Uh, in other words, he's the king's confidant. The Lord says, yeah, I, I, I'll appear in visions and dreams. That's true. But Moses is unique. So number one, you're attacking someone who's my servant. He's, and, and, and because he's my servant, I have a unique relationship with him. That's why I speak to him directly and only to him. Secondly, he says, not only do I do it directly, there's no need to interpret what I give him. There's no riddles. It's, it's, I, I come clearly to Moses. No one, no one has to decipher this sucker. It's not, no, it's not like mini, mini dicti, you know? Remember the handwriting on the wall? Where you have to figure out, someone's got to interpret it for us. Or, or Daniel has to be called in, or Joseph to interpret a dream. Not necessary. It's very clear. And third, he said, this, this, this Moses, he's had an opportunity to see my form. Uh, the term there is, is clear, I think, of Exodus 33, where Moses gets to see God, but it's the backside. And we talked about that. It's the after effect. Uh, a glimpse of the Lord. I wrote in your notes under the bullet points that Miriam and Aaron commented only on the Lord speaking to Moses. They have missed the mark. They have underestimated the relationship between Moses and the Lord and what is going on there. And they fail to grasp the full extent of what is transpiring. Questions on this? Comments? It's a pretty sad commentary on these two siblings. And the Lord... It says in verse 9, the, the anger of the Lord burned. Well, it started in verse 2 when he heard it. All right? So it's not as if all of a sudden, and some of the most tragic things happen, and I mentioned this, uh, this isn't directly in your notes, but you see the absence of God's presence. What does it say? He departed. 
Many scholars believe that was the removal of the prophetic gifts or the blessings that Aaron and Miriam enjoyed. You don't see them fulfilling any other roles really after this. And by Numbers 20, they're both dead. All right. So one is the Lord departs. Boom. Which is horrific in and of itself. But I also mentioned not only is there absence of God's presence, there's the presence of God's judgment. Miriam is struck with leprosy. Now, <clears throat> leprosy in the Hebrew scriptures, you probably know this, it's not Hansen's disease as we know it where the, the limbs are eaten, etc. Uh, it can be psoriasis or some type of skin problem, but certainly it's, it, would be, it would be an embarrassment and, and I think there, there could be pain involved, but certainly for the community, it, you're an outcast. I mean, this is horrific to have this. <clears throat> And as we see there in verses 9 and 10, and if this is in your notes there, um, they're going to have to plea uh, for Moses to intercede because Miriam, who wanted to have direct interaction with the Lord, is now not only removed from the Lord's presence, but now she's going to be removed from the presence of the Lord's people. She's put outside the camp. She's done. And someone who had leprosy, most of the time, as we know, was never healed. And there was a process for purification, and we'll see that in a minute, because she, she uh, has a condensed version given to her. But um, why do you think Aaron was not struck with leprosy? That's a question that I've mulled over, and most scholars are going to say that's because he was high priest, and it would short-circuit God's economy and how he was working at that time frame. Hard to know. Um, and I quote um, Wenham's commentary on numbers. Aaron was spared perhaps because as high priest, his role was vital to the divine economy. Just, we just don't know. Um, in your notes as well, down at the paragraph before letter D, leprosy was seen as time and time again as God's judgment, an indictment on his people. Um, and you can see that there. Uh, but later Jewish writings state that the chief cause of leprosy, you're going to love this, was slander. Now, I wonder if they're not pulling on Numbers 12. But later Jewish writings say, ah, the reason you get leprosy, the main reason, is if you slander somebody. <laughs> so, um, anyway, who knows? So, God responds. Now, I want you to see this. I, I, look at how Aaron responds. So let's get to now Aaron's interaction with Moses. What do you observe? How does Aaron respond? Who does he go to? He doesn't go to the Lord. He doesn't go to the Lord. He goes to Moses, which is... Humble pie, right? But what else do you see here? Help me out. What's he say to Moses? How does he refer to him? Hey, bro. My Lord, which is often used of Yahweh. <laughs> There's a bit of understanding now exactly Moses' role. There should have been before as high priest. I mean, come on, Aaron, you were the voice for what God had revealed to Moses, to the people. 
Had you forgotten? And so now he says, yeah, Lord, oh Lord. Creating a distinction between him and himself, or between Moses and himself. What else do you see going on? What does, how does Aaron approach all this? He speaks for both him and Miriam. He says, we. Yeah, he speaks, he, he understands he too is responsible, but he appeals for the, on behalf of both of them. What else do you see? <clears throat> They're, they're forced to recognize their sin. What else? What else do you see? Remember the accusation, Kyle. You would think, and that's what we're talking about, his leadership ability. Uh, you would think after all the Israelites have been through, they'd trust the Lord. You think after all that we've been through as a church, we'd trust, oh, we won't go there, right? So, yes, Aaron falls short, there's no doubt. Uh, what else do you see going on here? He goes to Moses. On, on, why does he ultimately go to Moses? What's he asking Moses to do? To intercede, to go to the Lord. The very thing they were accusing, you know, they had an issue with earlier. Now they have to recognize the only saving you know, the only possibility of, of, of uh, restoring Miriam is going through an intercessor, going through Moses to get to the Lord. Anything else here? They have to recognize Moses' leadership. They have to recognize that he is the intercessor. And they have to recognize their own sin and shortcomings. Don't miss that. Aaron, Aaron blew it and he knows he blew it. And he's recognizing that. Notice Moses' response. You see that in verse 13? Kill her now, Lord. Boom. <laughs> Boom. There, there's nothing more said. And at the top of page 3, many scholars believe that that is not coincidental that that happens. Uh, the argument from scholars is that the brevity of Moses' prayer indicates his lack of enthusiasm and minimal compliance with Aaron's plea. I think he's right. He said, fine, I'll deal with it. Uh, an attitude supported by the fact that Miriam is not referred to by name, but the impersonal third person pronoun. So there's, what's the basis of this? Is how he refers to Miriam. It's indifferent. And he doesn't even mention her when he says healer. So there's kind of this cold relationship with Miriam. Uh, yeah, Lou. Go right ahead. There is no please in the Hebrew. It's simply heal, heal, heal her now, O God. Yep. And, and Milgron, uh, who is just dynamite, he's a Jewish scholar. He's not even Christian. Uh, in his commentary on Numbers, argues the same thing. I mean, that's who I'm quoting. Um, it, it, the pray, the um, it is a plea, and it could be, and I, you know, I'm not ruling it out, but it's interesting that he does not refer to Miriam by name, that there is this distance that's given in the text, uh, and that it's so brief. Now, it doesn't mean anything, you know, there could have been more said that it's not recorded here. So, I, I, 
I wouldn't put my head in a guillotine over this sucker, this position. But yes, and he and 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 nonetheless, he'll intercede, but not wholeheartedly. Um, I mean, after all, they just attacked her, and you have to kind of wonder. Human nature is ah, she got her upcomings. Yeah, Dan. Well, there, yeah, it could be that he's trying to keep his distance, but I think he already knows that they got fried. So, <laughs> and the Lord knows that he was the one being attacked. But notice what the Lord says to Moses. If her father had spit in her face, it seems rather awful, and it should be. Deuteronomy 25 is a sign of disgrace. And he's saying, listen, she has leprosy. This is a huge disgrace. But God is even merciful to Miriam. Number one, he didn't strike her dead. Number two, he says, instead of 14 days, and that's debated, he says, I'm only going to, seven days. As I mentioned there in your notes, seven days was the the seven days of ritual purification according to Leviticus 14. So even in the midst of this, God is patient. But I want you to see something. Sin is never compartmentalized. It affects everyone around us. And look at the verse. Don't miss this. You know, I have people say, well, I did that. I, I paid the piper. No, you paid it and so did everyone around you. Because, because of Miriam and Aaron's sin, the people have to wait for seven days. It cost a whole nation a consequence because of her sin. Well, that's an interesting reminder. Right? You know, I see Christian leaders who fall morally and the wake of destruction is huge, you know? Um, and it's huge as men in the workplace. Don't miss it. It's huge in our marriages and our raising of children. It has a rippling effect, and it did for Miriam. Well, so what, Hoffman? What do we do with all this? Let me give you a few things to hang your hat on. Oops, let's go back. The first of these is there in your notes. During adversity, those secure in their relationship with the Lord rest in his presence. They claim his promises and allow him to vindicate. I've always said, I tell my kids, listen, God has a thicker paddle than I do and it has bigger holes. So allow him to do it because he will. Right? He will take care of it. Uh, look at Psalm 135. This is a great text. One thirty-five, and I just want to see verses thirteen and fourteen. <clears throat> the psalmist declares in thirteen, "O Lord, your name endures; your reputation, O Lord, lasts." And what does he say to Miriam and, and Aaron? You know, I, the Lord, <laughs> have done this, and I will choose who I will talk to. I will choose who I will appoint, and you'll keep your mouth quiet because I am sovereign. It's huge. And, and Moses, he doesn't have to retaliate. And it's seen in being a humble man. Allow the Lord to, to work. Because what does the text tell us? For the Lord vindicates his people and has compassion on his servants. Moses allowed the Lord to vindicate. And, and, and that should be true for all of us. 
God promises he will take care of us if we walk in godliness. And he will. He will, won't he? Selah, right? I'm seeing some faces just staring. Yes, yes, right. We need more coffee, Gail. <laughs> IV bags next week. Psalm 135. Here's the next one. Envy can easily distort reality and result in failure to assess accurately a situation. That's so true with Miriam and Aaron. Look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, well, you don't have to turn there. Well, I'll read it to you if you don't want to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says something very interesting in this text. 4 5, he says, and remember, the Corinthians, they've been a pain in the petunia to Paul. They've created a whole bunch of havoc for this guy who spent 18 months with them. Three weeks at Thessaloniki and they love him. You know, 18 months with Corinth and it's a mess. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 4, For we do not proclaim ourselves but Jesus Christ and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Wow. That's humility. Right? That's why Paul can state in Acts 20, a guy who has everything that, the hum that humanly you could ask for, right? He was born on the right side of the tracks, a Jew of Jews, devout family, loaded, Roman citizen, trained in Jerusalem under the leading, it was like the Harvard of the day, right? He had everything you could ask for. And what's he say in Acts 20? I count it all loss for the cause of Christ, Right? When our eyes are on Christ and not on ourselves or on others, it's a good thing. <laughs> but once we take our eyes off of Christ, it's, it's very easy for the green monster to start coming in to play. I mean, think about this. I was talking to Paul before we started this morning. Think about all that Miriam and Aaron have. All the experiences, all the opportunities that God has given them. And, and yet, it's not enough. And you're willing to, to risk all of that? I mean, God could have struck them dead right there on the spot. I mean, if anyone, Aaron should have been walking on thin ice after what he did with the golden calf. <laughs> I was like, really? Not again. Uh, envy can easily distort reality. Be very careful. Uh, um, and then one more for us. A humble person depends upon the Lord and recognizes his uh, provisions. An arrogant individual is a season is really a direct affront to the Lord and His sovereignty. First Peter five. It's a text I've cited here before as a group, and I love this passage. First Peter five, six says, "And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under the mighty hand." That's Moses. God exalted him, allowed him to have experiences that few humans have ever had, but. How is it accomplished? Verse 7, it gives you how you do this. How do you humble yourself? Of all things, by casting all your cares on him. In other words, those things you worry about, those things that give you gas, <laughs> create an ulcer, turn those over to the Lord. It's a privilege. And, and, and in so doing, what's the text show? That it's showing humility. Right? An arrogant person is wanting to say, I, I, can, I think I can resolve this. <laughs> I can deal with this. And, and Moses said in Numbers 12, nothing. He said, the Lord can deal with this. And boy, did he. Right? Paul. I've been 
Deuteronomy 18, God tells Moses, I'm going to raise a prophet after you. That prophet came and Philippians 2 said uh, his life, Jesus, becomes a model in a sense of humility, doesn't it? Yeah. It sure does. And the distinction is, according to Hebrews, is that uh, our new intercessor, or our intercessor, not Moses, uh, is far greater because he is the Son of God, not just a prophet like Moses. Thank you. Yep. Good, good, good. Well, powerful text, right? And it's a reminder in, in leadership, whether that be in the home, etc., that uh, we walk in humility, allow God to lead. Doesn't mean we're milk toast. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for what's right. But there's a process, and it's a reminder to keep our hearts in check, right? So easy to, to get our eyes off Jesus and look around us. And you'll always find someone who's better, um, better looking, I don't know, and on and on it goes. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. And as Paul uh, has pointed out, what a blessing to know that the new Moses, that is your son, serves as a, a mediator for us. And Lord, is because of his role, we have something far greater than the Israelites had through Moses. And that is we have direct access to the very throne room, your throne room, Father. And we have forgiveness of sins because Christ's righteousness has been put to our account. And when you see us, you see Christ. And Lord, we just stand in awe and amazement. Lord, may we walk in humility. May those who see us, see us as servants of you and, of, and slaves of the church for your son's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.